call to worship. It's a responsive reading coming from Isaiah chapter 53. And here in this portion of Scripture, Isaiah, many, many years before the coming of Christ into the world, paints a portrait of the coming Savior, Jesus Christ, the sacrifice, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Will you stand with me and let us call one another to worship with this responsive reading. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Well, now let us take our Trinity hymn books and sing about that wonderful sacrifice on the cross of by turning to him 186, 186, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. 186, let us lift our voices to our God. you for that amazing love that you've bestowed upon us. Were it not for that 
none of us would be here this morning to sing glory and praise and hymns to your uh, blessed name. We pray that you would bestow that love upon us in this hour, that you would come and walk among us and feed us the living words. Strengthen our pastor to bring that word and cause our hearts to rise up and respond aright to you. Forgive us of our sins this day and draw us unto you and may all things be done for your glory and honor. Amen. Now you can take the Trinity hymn book and turn with me to 579, 579, be still, my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief and pain. In the midst of uncertainty, there are times we just need to be still and know that God is still God. 579.
For those uh, visiting with us for the first time, uh, if there's anybody out there that that applies to, there may be. It's our habit to read through the scriptures uh, consecutively, and today's uh, reading brings us to Matthew 15. Matthew chapter 15. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Just a brief uh, note, the Lord was not uh, opposing the, the common cleaning of ourself hands uh, before we eat he, it, it, the tradition of the elders was a ceremonial washing that had religious significance to them and he is that's what he's taken them to task for here as we'll see in the following verses for God said honor your father and mother and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this, you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. After Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles a man, but that which proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles a man. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. Jesus said, Are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes through the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Two traits that we should recognize in this woman. One is her humility. And uh, she knew who she was coming to and she knew who she was. And the second is her persistence. And if we would be persistent like her in our prayers, maybe more of them would be answered. Okay, excuse me. 
Departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee, and having gone up on the mountain, he was sitting there. And large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others, and they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, and the lame walking, and the blind seen, and they glorified the God of Israel. And Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have had nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, for they, may, they might faint on the way. The disciples said to him, Where would we get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd? Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven, and a few small fish. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish, and giving thanks, he broke them and started giving them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, seven large baskets full. And those that ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. And sending away the crowds, Jesus got into the boat and came to the region of Magadan. As we seek our God together in prayer this morning, we especially want to remember the Grace Baptist Church in Islamabad, Pakistan with Pastor Danielle. But then also we want to weep with those that weep. And I think it was announced in Sunday school we've been praying for Kelly. She is Caitlin Perry, Wade Perry. We refer to him as Wade Perry Jr., but he's not a junior. But it's Caitlin and Wade Perry, Wade Perry's mother-in-law. And uh, she passed away uh, this past week. Um, We thank God that the gospel was given to her just in this past week, and she made a profession of faith. And thank God for even the example of somebody like the thief on the cross who cried out during their last hour, we're all saved by God's grace through faith. And uh, so we we thank God that we have hope in the midst of, of, of what we would consider great sorrow. So let us pray for the family. The service, I think, will be Wednesday or Thursday. Wednesday? Wednesday. So pray for the family as as they go through this. Let us seek our God together in prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, as we approach you this morning, we do so with great joy and delight. How thankful we are for the wonderful salvation that is ours through your Son, Jesus Christ. We're thankful that many of us that gather together in this place knows the realization of being justified before God, being declared innocent because of Christ taking our penalty for us, becoming sin for us, that that one who knew no sin. Father, how thankful we are that not only have you justified us, declared us righteous in your sight, but you have adopted us into your family and that you care for us and that you will provide for us and that there is a great love that you've set upon us. It's an amazing love. And Father, we're thankful for that reality and we thank you for the blessed assurance that we have that death has lost its sting, that that the grave will not have victory. But we have life everlasting in your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, in light of that, how we pray that we might be all the more diligent to share that gospel with those around us. It's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And so, Father, may we proclaim that message and may you bless it and bring an increase upon it that only you can give. Father, we give you thanks that the opportunity of sharing that gospel with Kelly this past week. We thank you that she 
profess faith in Jesus Christ. We give you thanks that we are all saved by grace through faith. And Father, we pray that you would draw near to this family. May they find you to be their source of strength and comfort. And may they give greater opportunities to share the gospel with other members of the family that are yet, yet lost. We think of her husband, that Father, he would come to know you, whom to know is life eternal. Father, we pray for the gospel not only as it goes out nearby, but around the world. And again, we're thankful for the relationship that we have with the Grace Baptist Church there in Pakistan. We thank you for the way that you're using that small assembly through the book service, book tables. We thank you for their heart's desire to see many Pakistanians come to know Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the way that you've been pleased to keep this group together, even in the midst of severe and difficult persecution in the past. We pray that you would be with Pastor Danielle. We pray, Father, that you would bless his ministry, bless the preaching of your word, use him as a as faithful shepherd to the flock of God there in that place. Father, we're thankful for the way you've answered prayer even in the recent youth retreat and how the word went forth and pray that it would bear much fruit for your glory and for your honor. We know that one of their great concerns is the Afghan people who are nearby, who desire to meet with them, but because of several security concerns are unable to do that at this time. And how we pray that those concerns would be taken care of so that soon these Afghanistan people can can worship there as well at Grace Baptist Church. So watch over them and protect them and use them for the advancement of your kingdom. Father, we would ask that you would draw near to us. We are a people dependent upon your spirit. And so as your word goes forth, may the spirit of God use it for our good here this morning and in that way to bring glory to yourself. Open blind eyes, we pray. Cause each one of us to draw nearer to our Lord. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now before we come to open the Word of God, take your hymns of grace, the hymns of grace turning to 177 in Christ alone. 177. Let's stand together as we sing.
Julie's baptism. Your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Passage of Scripture that we'll be considering together comes from verses 26 to verse 40. But before we actually look at that passage of Scripture, I want to begin by reminding you of our Lord's final words to his disciples before he ascended up into heaven to be seated at the right hand of God the Father. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, we read these words. He said to them, It is not for you to know the time or the ephods which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. Now when we turn to Acts chapter 8, we find the fulfillment of that very commission, being witnesses in Jerusalem, in Samaria and Judea. We read there in verse 2 or verse 1 of Acts 8, on that day a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. And we find that Philip finds himself in Samaria ministering the word of God. So we see Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Well, what about the uttermost parts of the earth? And we see that being fulfilled when we come to chapter 8 and verse 26 as we hear about someone from the continent of Africa coming to faith in Christ. So follow as I read. But the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading from the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. And Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before her shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will relate to his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, and Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, 
but he went on his way rejoicing. We'll stop our reading there. As we come to open up this passage of Scripture, I want to do so under three headings. The first thing we'll notice together is the providential meeting. The second thing we'll notice is the pressing message. And then finally, the proper reaction. Notice these three things together with me. First of all, we have this providential meeting. Two men that come together in what we might consider very unlikely ways. There is, first of all, the obedient servant, Philip. What do we know about Philip? Well, we know, according to Acts chapter 6, that he was one of the first deacons. He was one of the first men who were chosen by the church to serve in the diaconate. We also know that Philip was a man who God used to be an evangelist, to share the gospel with others. And in fact, we know from the Word of God that Philip was being greatly used there in Samaria. That people were listening to what he was saying and that many believed and men and women were were baptized in his ministry. So he was having what we might look at as a time of, of great awakening. People were hearing the gospel and many were being saved. Notice verse 12 and 13 of chapter 8. But when they believed, Philip's preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. What a successful ministry. What a time of great rejoicing. Can you imagine anything that would bring you more joy than seeing a number of people hear the gospel and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and then follow him in baptism and to see God at work in hearts and lives. But we also know that in the midst of all this, one day an angel comes to Philip and says to him, get up and go south. And I want you to go on that road between Gaza and Jerusalem. And by the way, take the desert road. I read someplace that there was another road called the King's Highway that perhaps would be more enjoyable way to travel. But no, no, you're not to take that. You're to take the desert road. I don't know about you, but if I was in the midst of preaching and and people were listening and people were believing and we were seeing an awakening, what we might call a revival going on, and an angel says, get up and go to a desert road, I may pause and say, wait a minute. Do you realize what's going on? Do you not see what's happening here in Samaria? And you want me to leave here and travel down a desert road? What in the world will happen on a desert road that might surpass what's going on here in Samaria? Isn't there someone else? that might go down the desert road and and let me stay here and and enjoy this? Now, now there's no indication, thankfully, that Philip is like me. Every indication is Philip heard it's a command. This is not a, what do you think about changing ministries? No, this was an imperative. It's a present imperative Get up and go. 
And what we find here is a couple things. Number one, Philip recognized that sometimes God moves him through difficulties and persecution. It's because of the persecution that was taking place in Jerusalem that Philip finds himself in Samaria. But there are also times when God moves him through the voice of an angel. And he goes now from Samaria to the desert road. And he makes this change because God not only saves multitudes of people at one time, and and what a delight that is. I mean, when we read in the Bible, the 3,000 being added to the church, let's, let's, let's admit it. If we had 20 people added to this church this year, we'd be, wow, look what God, can you imagine? Part of me says, please no, but 3,000 coming under this ministry, that would be wonderful. But God is not only concerned about the masses, but with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, we recognize he's concerned about the individual. One person. You're going to leave this ministry in Samaria because God's saying, I've got one man, one of my own, who I predestined before the foundation of the world, and you're going to be my instrument to reach that one man on a desert road. That's Philip, the obedient servant. But not only do we we see the obedient servant, but we also see here the awakened seeker. The awakened seeker. And, And here we find this man who's identified only in this way. I mean, church history gives him a name and and so forth. But in the scriptures, he is only identified as an Ethiopian eunuch. He, he is a man who was a dark-skinned individual from Africa. He was a eunuch. He was a man who held a high position. We read here concerning this man that he was a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Candace is not her name. Candace is a position. It's like Pharaoh, and she's identified as a queen. So he was in charge of all her treasure, and and no doubt that he himself was a man of some wealth. He he was a man who, who had a lot. In fact, when we read that he got into his chariot, some commentators believe it's better to translate this, he got into his coach. So I don't get the idea of of Ben-Hur. You know, you've seen the Ben-Hur movie, and he's riding in that chariot holding on to everything. This is a, a coach, an open coach. And in all likelihood, he had an entourage. He, he had a group of people who, who were with him. We, we also notice that He was coming back from Jerusalem because he went there to worship. We're not sure why, what motivated him. Maybe maybe he desired to know God. He he wanted to know about more, uh, about Jehovah, Yahweh. And he makes his way to Jerusalem in, in order to worship. But even there, when he gets there, he can only go, he's a Gentile, so he can only go so far. And no farther when it comes to the ritual of worship there in the temple. And so perhaps even as he's gone there seeking God, he leaves with an emptiness. How do we know this God? How can I have a relationship with this God? And somewhere along the way, somebody gave him a parchment of Isaiah. It would, it would probably be a scroll. And he has this, this scroll of Isaiah. Perhaps, 
I mean, we can speculate all kinds of things, but, but maybe somebody told him, hey, you know what? There, there's a special word of blessing for eunuchs in Isaiah 56. And he would say, well, what? I need to read that. Where can I get my hands on that? Now, it is believed that to have his hands on that would take quite a bit of money. But somehow he, he got the book of Isaiah. And he's reading that parchment there. And we read here that, look at verse 27, concerning Philip, he got up and went. And there was, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official. Or some translated, I think it's the Phillips translation says, it came about. Lo and behold, Philip gets up, obeys the command, heads down the, the road to Gaza, this desert road. Perhaps he's thinking about, I wonder what's going on in Samaria. I wonder if others are coming to know my Lord. And lo and behold, here comes a coach. And it happens to come about that an Ethiopian eunuch is, is traveling on that same road at that same time that Philip's there. And someone say, wow, what are the chances of that happening? Well, in God's determination, there's a very good chance. God in his providence brings this meeting about between Philip and an Ethiopian eunuch. And God often works in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. I don't know if you've had those incidences. I was thinking about this even in my own life. You know, years ago, when my family traveled, some of you have been around for a while, you know that oftentimes when my family went away, we'd have car trouble. I mean, that's just the way it was in those days. And I remember one particular trip we were taking down to Charleston. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, I'm not going to have trouble this time. I took my car in. I told the guy, service it. Give me a tune-up. Give me the whole works. And so he did. I get in the car. We're driving down the road. I'm thinking, ah, oh, things are going well. In fact, I think I was taking a nap. And all of a sudden, my car stops. And we pull over. And the check engine light comes on. And I'm thinking, no, no. This isn't supposed to happen. I have to have it towed into some town in Kentucky. And they said, oh, the water pump's bad. So they changed not the, the fuel pump, the water pump, one of those pumps were bad. They, they changed it. So a couple hours later, we're on our way. Driving. Things are going well. I think we got this someplace in North Carolina. The check engine light comes on. There's a rest area. We pull in the rest area. I can't get it started. This, this is not supposed to happen. I have to call for another tow. AAA says, oh, we can't come and tow you. Why not? We've already towed you once today. Well, <laughs> I'm stranded. And so I had to convince them to come and get me. They picked me up. They took my family. This is now 7, 8, 9 o'clock at night. I can't remember. They took me into another town in North Carolina to a truck stop. There was a guy working. He says, I've got, I just happened to have some time. I can work on your car. There was a motel just over here. I put my family in the motel, took my car in there. He's working on the car. And in the midst of working on my car, I'll never forget, he looks up and says, boy, this has to sort of ruin your day, doesn't it? And I'm thinking to myself, yeah. I mean, I, I, did, I made sure ever, this would never happen. And yet here I am. And I said, yeah, yeah, it makes for a rough day, but we're all right. you know. 
And then the man looks at me and says, you talk about a rough day. I said, yeah. He said, yeah. I went to the doctor today. And the doctor tells me that my cancer is worse than he thought. And it's terminal. And I'm scared. And I thought to myself, wow. I said, what are you scared of? And here's this mechanic, big guy, grease all over his hands, unshaven. He said, I'm scared to die. And it opened the door for me to share the gospel and pray with that man as he's working on my car. I've never seen the man since. Don't know the end of that story. Maybe I won't know till we get to glory. But as I look back, I thought, wow, look what God did. I mean, I thought for sure I'd taken care of that car. We weren't going to get stopped. And then he slows me down in Kentucky because the guy wasn't going to come to work till about 5. So I, had, I couldn't go through North Carolina until after 5. And God had me break down in Kentucky, work on that, get going again. And then my car breaks down again. I mean, I, I did everything, and it breaks down twice. And of all the people who worked on my car, here's a man that just found out his cancer was terminal and he was facing death and he wasn't ready and he needed to hear the gospel. We never know, but I trust we're always ready, as Peter says, to give an answer to those that ask of the hope that lies within us. The man didn't know I was a pastor. I was just some stranger. He knew I was from Michigan. He saw my license plates, but I'm just traveling through. And he sets that before me. How we ought to pray for even more of those opportunities that God would give us to share the gospel with others. Well, that's the providential meeting. And then secondly, notice with me the pressing message. And I must move on. The pressing message. We read here what goes on. We read and the Spirit tells Philip, go up and join the chariot. It's interesting. It says, Philip ran up. So I don't know what Alabama means. I don't know if the chariot's moving, the coach is moving, and Philip's the coach. Go, go what? Run up there. And, and he's running up. And I wonder if he had an entourage, what they were all thinking. Who's this guy? What's he doing? And, and as he gets up there, he hears Isaiah. I mean, he, he hears this Ethiopian eunuch reading. He, he's reading out loud. John MacArthur says, although the eunuch entourage must have been impressive, Philip was not intimidated. Boldness belongs to the spirit-filled person. So, so he runs up there and, and, and there's a, a serious inquiry that's made. This man is reading from Isaiah. And he's reading from Isaiah chapter 53. It's what we did our call to worship with this morning. And, and he's reading it out loud, which was, when I understand, a common practice, which is a good practice. I don't know about you. When I read out loud, I retain more than when I read to myself. And so he's reading it out loud. And Philip says to him, he makes this inquiry, do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand the message of what you... I mean, can you imagine? He, he, he hears him reading about that lamb that's taken to the slaughter. That, that one who took on our iniquities. Do you, do you understand what you're reading? 
So we have that serious inquiry that's followed by a sincere answer. The eunuch says to him, how could I unless someone explains it? And then he invites Philip to take on that task. Come up here. Sit here. I mean, what a delight it must have been for him, for Philip. This man is inviting me to sit with him to tell him what Isaiah 53 is all about. Here's a man who, who was teachable. He, he was humble. And he had a, a teachable spirit about him. I can't understand unless someone explains it to me. And so Isaiah gets into the chariot knowing that the passage he was reading comes from Isaiah 53. And we're told, verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this Scripture, he began to preach Jesus to him. He began to proclaim Jesus to him. So he had... A serious inquiry, do you understand? A, a sincere answer, not lest someone explains it to me. And then you have a splendid message. It's a message about Jesus. You see, the Bible is a story that's about one person, Jesus Christ. And he began to proclaim Christ to this eunuch. Now, what was in his message? What exactly did he say? And, and we're not really told here. We're, we're told he preached Jesus. But, but I'm wondering if, if Philip was preaching something of the same thing that Peter was preaching back in Acts chapter 2. Remember Peter's sermon? Let's go back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Peter's preaching, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, and you nailed to a cross, by the hand, he was nailed to the cross by godless men, and they put him to death, and God raised him up again and ended the agony of his death, since it's impossible for him to be held by its power. For David said of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he was at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope. Because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor will your Holy One, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness in your presence. He set Christ before them. And what about Christ? He set his life in ministry. He's a man. He came to earth. He was a historical person that lived here. And he did many signs and wonders and miracles. But, but he was put to death. He died an agonizing death on a cross. But he conquered death. And he was resurrected. Death could not hold him. He conquered the last great enemy called death. This is Jesus Christ. This is who Isaiah is speaking about. The lamb who is given to the slaughter. The one who was bruised for our iniquities because of our sins. He died in our place. Jesus Christ who came into the world to save sinners. This is the message that that eunuch heard as the eunuch was taken through the scriptures about the person 
and the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only hope of men knowing God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. And the only way to be reconciled to Him is in Christ alone. And whether or not He said it to the eunuch, He would say maybe something like Paul said to the Philippian jailer, and man, you must believe Upon him. Turning away from sin. And trusting him. That my friends. Is this wonderful message. This pressing message. Given by Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. Well that leads us then finally to notice together. The proper reaction. How did the eunuch respond to these words. And. And we see three things here as to how he responded. He responded in faith. He believed. He responded in confession. He made a public confession. He was baptized. And he responded with joy. Rejoicing. He responded in faith. He believed. We read here, they went along and they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. Now let me say that some of the more recent manuscripts don't have these verses in it, that verse 37. So there is a variant reading here. I simply point that out just because I don't want you to think I'm ignorant of that reality. But it is a variant reading, but I don't think it affects the passage. It doesn't take away from the truth that man must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that what's being said here is true, whether it's in the originals or not. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered, I I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He has faith. And faith consists of knowledge. It consists of belief and trust. Perhaps, and I don't have time really to open this up, but Mark chapter 5, you have the woman who who was hemorrhaging. You might remember. And we read there in Mark chapter 5, she heard about Jesus. She has knowledge of who Jesus is. She has belief. She says to herself, you know what, if I could just touch his clothes, I could be healed. And then she has trust because we, she reaches out and touches his cloak. That's faith. We, we hear about Christ. We've got to set Christ before them. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We need to proclaim Christ to a dying world. They need to hear the news. They need to believe it. They need to understand that the only way my sins are going to be forgiven, the only way I can have a relationship with Almighty God is not turning over a new leaf. It's by turning to Jesus. And then to trust Him. To trust Him. So there's faith. There's a confession. Again, we're not told. But apparently somewhere in the midst of opening up the Scriptures... Philip told him about, you know, we have this thing, it's called baptism. Baptism is a way in which a man can outwardly profess what has taken place inwardly. In fact, before our Lord left this world, he gave us that that great commission, maybe In the midst of opening up the scriptures, they got to this point. And and Philip says to him, and that great commission is that we're to go and make disciples in all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism does not take you to heaven. 
But every believer, every true Christian is obligated to be baptized. It's commanded by God. Anyone who professes to be a Christian and yet refuses to acknowledge that openly with a confession of faith in the waters of baptism is either not a Christian or living in rebellion to Almighty God. It, it's, we're living at a time, now granted, in biblical times for a man to be identified in the waters of baptism would take great courage. Families would would disown you. If you're going to follow Jesus, we want nothing to do with you. So for a man to enter the waters of baptism would take great boldness and great courage to take a stand for Christ. Nowadays, when someone's baptized, what happens? Grandmas, grandpas, cousins, aunts, uncles all come and say, oh, we want to watch this, we want to see this. So things have changed a bit. But even in the midst of that change, do not think, my friends, that if you're a believer, that not being baptized is just no big deal. And beware, lest you say, well, it's not going to keep me out of heaven. You don't have to be baptized to be saved. My friend, it's a matter of obedience. Following the Lord, doing what he says. But I just don't feel like. Oh, if that's how you're going to live your life, you're going to be in big trouble. There's a lot of things I don't feel like doing. You know? But I must be obedient. And this eunuch says, hey, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized and making this confession? That would take boldness. I mean, remember, he's probably got an entourage with him. They're going to watch him and they're going to see that he's identifying himself with Christ. He follows the Lord in baptism. And they go down into the water and he's baptized, professing his union with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection professing that in Christ his sins are being washed away and he's a new man with a new righteousness. And there's rejoicing. It brings joy. A mark of a true believer is joy. Not not a giddiness, but a joy in Christ doesn't mean I'm going to get everything I've ever wanted. But it means in Christ I have all that I need. And there can be great joy. Remember the old hymn? It's not in either one of our hymn books. It's this. Oh happy day that fixed my choice on thee my Savior and my God. Well, may this glowing heart rejoice and tell its raptures all abroad. Happy day, happy day, when Jesus washed my sins away. Happy day. There's rejoicing. And so this morning, there are many lessons that we can learn from this narrative, but I would just encourage you, number one, be ready. You who are believers, be ready when God gives us opportunity to share that gospel. May God give us a boldness and and not allow us to be ashamed of the cause of Christ. The second lesson I would draw from this is for you who are here who are yet in your sin. You're not a believer. My friend, there's only one way to have your sins forgiven. And that's by knowing Christ, by knowing Him. And then in a few moments, we're going to baptize Julie Bachmeyer. This isn't some superstitious ritual we engaged in. There's nothing magical about this water. It is, it is just water. All right. The nice thing about nowadays is our baptistries are heated. All right. Some of us were baptized in cool, cool water. But 
is not that Julie wants to profess to all of us that she's been united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Julie wants to profess to us that she knows her sins have been washed away through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we then have a responsibility to pray for Julie. Pray that she'll grow in the things of God. We look forward to her going on and becoming a member of this church. She'll be a part of of those people who are committed to this community and, and what that means. God willing, this afternoon I'll open up a bit about what that means, to what it looks like to be committed to one another in this community of believers. But how we rejoice. You know, I, I wish, I know there are some places that every week I'd have to call Wade. Wade, get the baptistry ready. We got somebody ready to profess Christ to those around us. We don't, we don't see this often enough. And we ought to pray we see it more, seeing many more confess their relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we rejoice at what we're about to participate in this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks again for so great a salvation that you provide us in your Son, Jesus Christ. There are some who sit among us who yet do not know you, still lost in their sins. And Father, how we pray that even today they would see their need of a Savior, that Jesus Christ did come into the world to save sinners, and that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, and and that, Father, they would come to faith in you. Father, we thank you for Julie. We pray that you would draw near to us as we rejoice at her public confession of faith in Lord Jesus Christ. May may you receive the glory and the honor as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.